it's Tuesday, the 13th of November 2012, and this is Ida Valper Live, episode number 72, with your hosts, me, and Mr. John Fox. How are you, John? Oh, I'm dandy Mr. Scotty Scott Scott. How are you? I am exhausted. It's been a really busy weekend. Um, we've been filming here in the... Um, in the studio, you know, I develop her towers, affectionately known as the shed, <laughs> uh, where we are here. Uh, been grabbing loads of material, and uh, it's been a long weekend. And then, of course, a few beers and some pizza afterwards, which always makes it even a, a longer day. But uh, it's uh, it's okay. It's uh, I'm doing all right. So um, we have no guests this week because. Um, uh, our guest was uh, on an aeroplane here to London and arrived, and uh, we went and picked him up. And um, uh, but he's had an urgent job come up that he's got to fix because he's been away, so he had to uh, had to bail on us. But uh, he'll be in the studio tomorrow, and we're going to record some stuff with him. So uh, we'll forgive him because I don't want to upset him now, just in case he doesn't turn up tomorrow either. Well, so regale me with a with with a description of the luxurious studios because when I was over recording, you kept me in a closet most of the time and, and made me vacuum. I'm sorry, Hoover the studio. So you know now that you've become this big kind of uh, uh, media megaplex, you know what, what what do people who are lucky enough to come film? Um, have to look forward to. Well, John, we've moved from our uh, two-story um, 17th century offices, um, you know, with a nice uh, plaster and lath, lime, lime and horsehair plaster, ceilings and walls, slopey floors, uh, exposed wooden beams, um, all that sort of stuff, into a um, probably 1970s single-block shed. <laughs> Wow, um, single-story shed. Um, just uh, which probably I don't know. It's probably I don't know, twenty-five feet by fifteen feet or something like that. There we are. That's it. Does so, it, uh, does it have reliable electricity? It has reliable electricity and it has reliable internet-ish, uh, <laughs> as best as tech we can get. And uh, it's a lot easier to, to recording. And and hopefully, um, you see the uh, auto layout course we recorded was the first one in here. Um, we think the results were pretty good. Um, we've honed a few things since then, and uh, hopefully over the next few weeks, as we start to release some of the stuff we've recorded over the weekend, you're going to see that it's all good stuff, hopefully. That's very good. So is your, does your studio automatically expand to fit when, when both you and, and, and other people with big bellies are in there, or...? And how, does, how does that work without springs and struts? <laughs> well, we are a bit cramped, <laughs> cramped in here because when we came and chose this place, it was just me and Dave working here. Um, and now some days, because of some of the changes we're making in um, in our developer TV, um, there's up to six of us in here. <laughs> it gets a bit crowded on those days. Wow. Are you are you kind of uh, aside from 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 Chuck's little dushy dushy douchey thingies? You're probably like, you know, a, a, a major portion of the Tetbury GDP, no? Um, if I am, Tetbury's in trouble. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I, I'm a major portion of Tetbury's deficit, maybe. Ah. <laughs> anyway, John, how, is, how have you been? What have you been up to? Well, I, 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 I've been quite busy again. Um, I will be... Uh, well, I can't talk about it now, so I'll just wait for a couple of weeks and I'll talk about it then. But I've been I've been working hard on trying to to get um, this app that I have been doing for a client for for 
the last two years now, I'm looking back on it, so this app called Showrunner that uh, I actually talked about in my, my talk at Amsterdam. It's the, the tool that borrows many of the concepts and even some code from Memory Miner to attach media and metadata to various moments in time in television and, and film. So this app that I've been working on for, for, for so long, it's really found its footing in the last couple of months, so clients are, are making heavy, heavy use of it, um, and it's, it's, it's very proud to see it. And it's uh, getting to the point where uh, the company that I've been doing this work for is saying, hey, do you have any other people that can come so that we can do some, um, some additional work on it and get it done faster? So uh, I, will be, I will be hopefully talking to some colleagues here. Hi, Simon, <coughs> uh, for help with that. And, uh, and what I was going to say is that it actually made me think a lot about a suggestion that our own Joshua Nozai um, had suggested as a, as a topic of conversation is how do you deal with, with large projects? And there, that's kind of an open-ended discussion, but I find myself um, at this moment in time with, with, with a fairly complex project, and even just, just navigating in Xcode is, is becoming a little bit tricky just because of all the different sections on it. It, it makes me wonder what the best practice should be on, on when you have a, a project of this level of complexity. So where do we start? That's a good question. Well, I think actually it's um, uh, for, okay. Should I give you my opinion, and then we'll go from yes. there? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Um, when it comes to large projects, it all comes down to, um, I think first of all, effectively um, laying out things in folders um, or groups. I guess they mm -hmm. don't have to be succeed now. Your naming conventions have to be really tight so that you can just find things and, um, things like comments at the top of files, giving a clear description of what the file does so that you don't spend hours looking at files that don't do the thing you actually thought to do are three really key areas that, uh, um, you need to do to make the whole thing navigable. I think it's like, if you think about it, um, you know, Coco is a it's a huge set of frameworks. I mean, it's it's the word Coco no longer defines one thing anymore, does it? No. Um, and yet we find our way around it reasonably well because it's um, consistent. Um, things tend to be grouped well into different uh, things like Core Data or AV Foundation or you know Core Text or whatever. Um, and, uh, and and then we know sort of you know what different file names mean for things and what different types of class names means and so again you know that's to me if your project can follow similar guidelines of naming and layout and consistency over time and nothing you know nothing no huge um, project is going to be navigable instantly by someone new but over time as you learn those things projects become you know as easy to navigate as a smaller project. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's that's kind of what I've been doing. So I, I, I'm glad that I, I'm not uh, in, entirely uh, you know, wrong in my approach. Because you know, I, I guess I, one thing I, I, I stole for for lack of better inspiration is I, I liked actually when you when you bootstrap a, a Rails project that it it creates you know these separate folders of models, views, and controllers and tests and so on and so forth. So when I open up a, a create a new Xcode project, if I'm doing it, you know like a small tester app or something that I may actually you know, bring to production. I, I tend to do that. And if you have a, a relatively small number of, uh, of classes, then just having even just those top three level groups of models using controllers, I'm sorry, and resources too, makes it pretty easy to navigate. But then after a while, you start to have you know, uh, you know, uh, 
a number of models, a, a number of different controllers that do different things have started to break it down within it based on functionality. So for in this app showrunner, there's a, there's a whole section on, on different types of, of media search capabilities, right? So this app can search you know, across the, the, the public sources like Google and, and YouTube and iTunes and then their internal company-specific um, uh, content management systems that it works for, and, and those are separate you know, from one client to the next. So I started organizing that. And then, you know, uh, other people who suggested uh, 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 saying that, uh, you know, you have to break it down to libraries. In fact, it already is because this is a code base that's shared between iOS and macOS. So everything that is, is non-UI, so all the model classes are, of course, shareable. And then the non-view controller controllers, so for instance, like a Google image search controller, that doesn't have a UI to it. So that's shared between the two. Um, I see that uh, our own Scott has also suggested uh, that he says, well, I prefer to put the views and the controllers in their own groups. And, and that sounds like a pretty good suggestion as well, because, you know, if you're going to go edit some portion of it, say, hey, I want to work on this particular, uh, this particular view controller, you know, having to, to go one place to find the, the view, one place to, to find the controller, one place to find the, the, the nib file, the zip file, um, to work with that can be a little bit tricky. Yeah, I guess that depends on the on the project you're doing, and I I, the, I guess the point is as long as you're consistent. I'm just yeah. looking at some sample code I've been writing for a UI collection view over the last um you know a couple of weeks ago, and you know just to remind myself what I did, you know, and so I keep all the controllers in one group, all the zibs in another group, and then I might use subgroups within there. Um, all my cell classes are in another group. Um, you know, all my delegates classes are in another group. Uh, but this is a reasonably small project, so. You know, that's the way I want to think. Oh, I want to work on the controller. That'll be in the controller section because it's usually fairly obvious which one you're going to work on. However, right. that saying, you know, I do have to go to a different place to do the to, to go to the zib. Um, you know, and, and I guess maybe if it was just, uh, I think the group would need to be very, really well named and keep your zib and the controller and everything in there at the same time to to navigate around and find it. But yeah, I mean, I, the point is, as long as you have a system and you stick to it, mm. that's the point. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, see, Simon, think, Simon's shouting at me in the chat room. Hello, Simon. Um, everyone say hello to Simon. In fact, Simon got renamed last night in, in the pub. Simon came up here last night, and um, he is now Scar. Scar. That's his name, Scar. No, Scar. <laughs> so let's say right to Scar. Scar. <laughs> We're just rapidly heading downhill here. Um, yeah. Okay, so the point is, okay, we've just opened a, a you know a, a religious war in the chat room. Uh, the point is, it doesn't matter as long as everybody knows the same system. Mm. Um, it's when people just come in and they start their own system with their own bit, or one library's in this one, one that that it becomes confusing. Um, and consistency consistency creates efficiency, and it's it's that simple. Yeah. Ooh, that sounds like something that's tweetable. Consistency creates efficiency. Is that what you said? Uh, something like that, yeah. Ah, yeah. Don't mind. Yeah. I should, maybe I should tweet that is, 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 the, is my saying of the day. Mm. Oh, look, Scars has agreed with you. The system doesn't matter so much as consistency and clarity. In other words, as Scotty was just saying. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. I, I am such a pioneer and leader in this field. <laughs> That, yeah, yeah. that many will follow, uh, yeah. but it is. But it is a problem. Um, yeah, and yeah. When you start working on, 
lots of different things. You know, you get, it's really important. You you get stuff like um, you know tabs versus spaces and how people's Xcode is set up. All that can actually begin to make a difference to things. And you know, a lot of people. Yeah, you know, I work tend to work alone a lot on the projects. I use, and then suddenly I'll get involved in a shared thing, in a, a sh- you know, a project with other people, and it's like, okay, no, wait a minute, I can't just do what I like anymore. I've got to do what everybody else is doing. So, you know, sometimes that means me even going and changing my Xcode setup just so that I can make sure that, you know, I don't do damage to the code. Well, and, and the thing is, is it's it's too bad Marcus is not here because then he'd go on about how great, you know, things like, uh, you know, properties are and how you can use properties to send messages from one object to another. But he would say as long as you didn't use um, dot notation. (laughs) (laughs) Which I, okay, John, let's start this one because we are desperate for material and we might as well get going for several hours now. Do you use dot notation? You know, I tend not to. You know, I I, I really do. I I didn't, but now I do. Oh, yeah. You you see, for me, the fundamental problem is... um, it depends on for me it comes down to it depends on if you this is where I'm about to get myself into serious trouble, but never mind. It's it's do people use properties properly? Because to me, see, a property defines state. You know, and ch- changing a property or accessing a property should have no no effect other than changing a state. If it does anything else, it shouldn't be a property, it should be a method. So for example, um I wouldn't ever have a property that was called open that you could set to true or false, say for a database class, and when you set it to true, the database opened, because that's not just changing state, that's an action. I'd make sure there was a method called open and a method called closed, Um, whereas I would have a method called is open that reflected a state. Um, So to me, properties must represent state, and if it's not just, you know, if setting it does anything, then just represent a state, change then I would have to use a method. And then for me in code, you know, whenever I see a dot notation, I know I'm accessing state or setting state, and the method is having an action of some form. Um, and so to me, that breaks down nice and logically. Mm. Yeah, but I think I, I, since in the Mac, you know, I, I use bindings like crazy. And, and I've actually, you know, I've always liked bindings. There are some times when it's been tricky to debug, and I know that there are people who just like, as soon as you mention the word, they start you know, holding up a cross and, and thrashing garlic at you or whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, I find myself, well, I create the class. I always set, you know, create the, the property and, and the, the synthesizer for it. And then sometimes I will need Don't to need change a synthesizer something else anymore. based on that changing. So, you know, you can either implement the, 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 the setter for it, and, and then you have to implement the getter, which is a pain in the ass. I don't know why. Um, and or you have to become an observer for it, and then you know override and you know implement observe value for key, unless I'm totally missing something. But w- when I start doing this stuff, you know I start to think, man, you know I've been doing this so long, I, I know how to do it, and and you know I know how to go back and forth between the header and the the, the, the .m file and, and so on and so forth pretty quickly. But I find it just incredibly tedious, and I say, now I know why people who are used to using Ruby and Python or even JavaScript, you know, look at Objective-C and Cocoa Program as like a certain level of tedium. Yeah, I do find the whole switching between the the, the header and the and the um uh, the implementation file 
tedious. I mean, yeah. I, I used to write a lot in Pascal, and Pascal used to you, you, the header and the implementation all, all lived in one file, um, and, and it had a clever enough single pass compiler to to sort that out. Um, but um, yeah, but uh, I don't know. It's it's. All little stuff. I mean, I guess, you know, modern Objective-C, as it's now called, some people would argue that there's nothing modern about Objective-C, but um, it's getting easier. I mean, the fact that now you can just declare a property and there is no, um, you, know, the, you know, there is no even need to even synthesize anymore. Right. Uh, and most of it, um, you know, there's no... Um, retain and release cycles to have to do anymore on these things. It's it's getting slicker and slicker and slicker um, as we go along. I'm just looking at some code here on my screen now that's you know written for to target um, iOS 6 um, and it's using Arc and you know I, I would say that there is probably you know 50% of the code there would have been if this was written for iOS 4 um, simply by getting rid of some of that craft. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that, and that's the other thing too. It's like you know, if you're an old timer, and and you've got an old code base, and you're just so used to doing it, then you know, I find myself not. I love I, I love creating a brand new project from scratch just because how clean it is, and it always reminds me to feel guilty about not having gone through and and, and changed this this project and made it all art. Yeah, and 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 it's, it's kind of a tricky situation because, um, you know, by now I suppose any you know. Any client that's using our Objective C libraries, if they're not if they're not able to use Arc, then they're they're in, in pretty big trouble. But I just remember, you know, mixing and matching Arc and non-Arc is a little bit of a of a tricky thing. Yeah, I think you know people supporting old code bases, and, and there's a you know, fortunately for me, I just write lots of sample code, um, and that type of thing is the main thing I'm working with. It's just for me, um, and so I just tend to use always the most modern way forward because I think yeah, if you're going to teach something, teach as it is now. Um, but uh, yeah, I can understand the challenge. You know, someone, especially someone like you with a code base that goes back to about 1874. Yeah. You know, yeah, that, that's quite difficult. Okay, we um, you've started a bit of a, a chat in the chat room as well um, about bindings because you say you use bindings everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I... Uh, uh, obviously, no bindings on iOS, so that's never even a question. I I really have mixed feelings about bindings. I think my I think my current feeling, although it's not the way it's always been and probably won't be next week or whatever it is, is I just I don't like them. And I don't like them for any other reason than I think it makes it really hard for me to work out what my application is often doing if I've forgotten or somebody else wrote it. I remember when I first um, came to the Mac, I got involved, someone let me get involved in their project, I started doing some bug fixes. It was a reasonably large project. Used bindings absolutely everywhere. Um, obviously all set up in Interface Builder. And actually for me as a new person coming to that code base, it was almost impossible to work out what was doing what. Yeah, I, I can see that, but on the other hand, man, just the amount of glue code you'd have to write if you don't use bindings. I mean, I, for instance, I just used lots of, of collection views, um, and you know, it's just so much, much easier and so much more fun to just bind things to an array controller and, and write very, very, very little code. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. 
I guess they say code is read once and write uh, uh, write once and read many times. And um, but equally, you know, you're right. It's a lot of code to write, and every line of code is always the um, the other That's adage right. people the use. Every code is the one you never write. Every line of code you write is another bug, potential yeah. bug. Um, you know, so it's uh, chat room. Um, I think uh, we've had a few people saying that you use bindings, and a few not. I don't know if there's any general consensus. But I think the idea is it's like dot notation and all the rest of it. No one actually sort of totally agrees. So, uh, so there we are, John. I'm going to do a sponsor over okay. here. Well, you can get, you think of our our next our next subject in there. Okay, um, I need to apologise for them because I totally forgot to do their ad last week because we were getting so engrossed in what was going on. But um, I'm sure they'll forgive us. Uh, in fact, just before last week, this is what's even more embarrassing. They just signed up for a whole bunch of uh, um, new ads, and then I didn't put them in. <laughs> um, so I'm sure they love us, but uh, never mind. But our, our sponsor this week is Invasive Code that you will find at invasivecode.com, and we particularly focus on their iOS training program. Five days intensive iOS six development training in San Francisco. Uh, the next one is on February the fourth, two thousand and thirteen. That sounds like miles away, but actually that's what sixteen weeks, twelve weeks, something ridiculously short, isn't it? 12, 15, oh, I don't know, something like that. So uh, you need to get your act together. Uh, price of the training includes your lectures, which are about seven hours a day. But you get a couple of hours in the labs at night to um, catch up on the work, to ask the instructor a few more things. You get the training material uh, with theory and the exercises, um, a book with a copy of the slides used during the class. You get lunch. Um, you also get three months of remote support for any projects you work on after the training. That's... Um, pretty impressive and unlimited support for the training material um what i love about these guys as i say every single time and i'll never stop saying it is never more than 10 people in a class um which is a, the first question you need to ask when you go for training anywhere is how many people are going to be in the class um and you know i'd say 12 is a maximum but these guys they don't even peak it out a maximum 10 is where they go um, so that's great. So training.invasivecode.com. Um, course costs $2,600, which is you know, pretty reasonable if you ask me. But if you, um, when you contact them, you say, uh, everybody loves Invasive Code, they'll know you've come from us and they'll give you another 200 bucks off. So that's invasivecode.com. We love you guys. Thank you for sponsoring iDeveloper Live. Can I say something why I like iDeveloper so much? Why you like high developer? And, and, and this this is provides this smooth segue that I'm just so famous for. You, you is that it, this may not be uh, immediately apparent to everybody, but the, the people who are doing the training for Jeppy, for example, uh, works uh, several days a week at Apple, and so uh, and and the company Invasive Code produces a lot of, of high quality production production apps. So if you look at their company website, you can see that they're divided into two things: they do custom custom development and and uh, training. And I think that's very interesting because that means that when they're doing the training, they're saying these are the best practices that we ourselves are, are putting in at Apple and for our clients. And I think that that is one of the reasons why their training courses are so good because it's, it's the only way that you can crank through the number of, of, of projects that they do, either at Apple or by themselves. Um, you can't do it unless you, you've learned how to write as little code as possible. That's totally true. And then put on top of that, Jeppy is just a really nice guy. Yeah, that too. There we are. Rightio. Okay, so right. So we comments and, and code. So here's here's a little fun fun uh, mental exercise. If you were to search for the word, you know, vulgar words like you know, and 
How many times would you get a hit if you were to, to look through your code base? My code, zero. Zero? Mm. How about out there in the chat room? Is there any foul language anywhere? Because when I was first starting out, I mean, this is millions and millions of years ago, writing web script, um, a guy who was coming in after me was like, man, <laughs> you must have been angry at various points. They're like, oh, really? <laughs> How did you get that <laughs> idea? And then there was a time when, you know, when Google came out with a, a, a specific thing for searching code. Um, uh, and it's, uh, it was surprising the, the, the level of vulgarity and anger that you could find in, in publicly searchable code bases. It's pretty fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't do a huge number of comments. That's the first thing I say. Um, but uh, one of my favorite comments is if I've just done something, um, you know, it really is a hack. Um, I always put the comment hack in there. And then depending on how big a hack it is, I put a number of plus signs afterwards. So, you know, a, a really excessive hack will be a hack plus 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 uh, mm. in a comment. And it's I put those in there and then... Um, it's, uh, I also often put those under a to-do, actually, so to-do and hack. So I just know that if I'm ever going back to clean up code or anything like that, you know, I start with the ones with the most pluses and, and, and work my way down. Um, mm. But no, I, I, I don't write a lot of comments in my code because um, I'm rubbish at writing, basically. Because your code is so brilliant. It, it is both documentation and comment and code at once. Uh, if you say so, John, I will accept that. That's, that's, I, that's, I have never seen their code, so I'm sure it's perfect. And fun. long may that be the case. Done during duress. <laughs> yeah. Yes, uh, dear, dear. In fact, uh, I haven't written much code at all this week. We were, um, do you remember uh, a few months ago, uh, I made an announcement that I was looking for people and we were going to sort of start uh, you know, more proactive blogging um, through iDeveloper TV and uh, some guest authors and all that sort of stuff, and we do some proper editing and all that. And it's just taken so long to get that off the ground because of you know just finding editors and um, you know one of the reasons we've now got more people on here is to try and make that work. And so um, literally just before uh, we came on air tonight, I put the first article of our new blog live. So um, it's actually written by Matt, who who works here. But we've got you know a, a number of articles lined up. They're going through the editing process. So over the next uh, week or two, we, you should see a lot more activity on the um, iDeveloper TV blog. That is fantastic. Yeah, that we've moved fantastic. the technology as well. Um, we were doing static blogging because it was mainly just me and um, using Jekyll, uh, but obviously using lots of guest authors. So um, that's a bit awkward. So sort of emerging WordPress into sort of our whole Ruby stroke static setup, which has been um, an interesting exercise um, as well and trying to sort of make that efficient so um been playing around a little bit of you know wordpress plugins a little bit of php lots of css so um my objective c has been a bit bit uh, neglected recently but um there we are hopefully people uh, enjoy the content that's going to begin to come out so everybody go to your um feed reader and go to iDeveloper.tv and uh, subscribe to the feed and um start reading articles Ah, now, since this is a, a, a free-form show and, and we have such active uh, uh, participation in the chat room today, I, will, I, will, I think we should have like a little section of, of the code confession booth, right? Now, actually, it would be a fun segment. Like, what's, the, what's the dirtiest thing that you've done in your code? And uh, I will admit to, to using NSLog heavily. You know, uh, I, I, this is kind of interesting because I always found GDB so difficult to use, I could, and I could barely type GDB, I could barely type BT, I could barely type PO, and that's about the extent of, of what I could do. 
you know, the, uh, LDB is so much easier to use that, that you know, it's, it's pretty easy just to completely step through your program and the, 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 the completion in the, in, the, in, the, in the editor working so nicely. It's, it's really easy to, to know what's going on. But, you know, over time, I've, I've littered a lot of code I've worked on with NS log statements where I want to say, you know, um, here I am in this place. I'm doing something. Here's the value of something. And I, I, I'm very lazy sometimes. I will leave it, leave it in. And, and because I, I have been doing a lot of Mac program, you know, it's, it's not, it's, it, the Mac compared to the iOS, you can luxuriously waste resources by having log statements. But now here I am saying, this sucks. I've done this for too long. It's time to replace this NS log, at least with a runtime one. What is the best replacement out there for NS log? Go. Well, Simon's just put it to the chat room. Z-Log. Huh? Uh, Z-Log, and I've used that because um, it's, uh, obviously I've worked on quite a few of Marcus Zara's projects, um, and basically it's, uh, what happens is uh, Z-Log becomes, um, it's set up in a way that if you're building for debug, um, then uh, it does output to NS-Log, right. um, and if you're building for um, uh, for deployment, it does nothing. So no op, right? Yeah, I remember reading about that. So Zlog is what I want to use. Then it sounds like. Well, I mean, there may be others out there. That's just one, you know, no. that um, that I've experienced. Um, yeah, although this is this raises a question for me. Um, and, and I guess yeah, with things like Zlog, it's very tested and whatever else. But you know, I don't like shipping production code that didn't do the same as it did when I was debugging it. Mm. It, it it feels yeah I know the chances are slim of things being wrong but you know an NS log statement does actually change the flow of the work that oh, you're it does, doing yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know how do I know that especially if you're in a multi-threaded piece of code or some time-sensitive code or something that responds to a certain action in a certain time you know how do I know that by not logging I'm not changing something and and that code is no longer um, uh, you know going to do what it, what I do so but I, I I don't know any way around that because I don't want to leave this stuff in there when, when I, I deploy it either so have any suggestions for that uh, well so but then if you if, if you do use Zlog and it evaluates to a no op when you're running isn't that this, then it's no longer changing the flow or you right so well I don't know dropping out to NSLog does something and no op doesn't do something yeah I don't know. I, this is like one of those things that uh, I don't think I could ever like, use even half a second of sleep on. <laughs> you just don't care. You ship the crap anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I, I don't see it that way. I think that. I think that you know the Z log thing and, and, and years and years ago. We'll, we'll put know, link to. We'll put a link in, to Z log. Um, we had our own logging system, and you had diff- different levels for it because this was server side system software and it was you know actually i find logging can be very helpful because you know you know you can't really ask your mom to go look in the console but if you're writing an app where the person who's using it is is pretty familiar you can learn a lot so i mean that's that's my counter argument you know because the reality is that things will happen out in the field that you don't test you're not going to find with testing and i'm grateful to have some logging statements to, to give me an idea about what's going on. So yeah. I, I, I don't, I, I, I've had people in the past saying, you know, wow, there's a lot of data that's in the console. I'm like, well, yeah, it's good. It's helpful. Yeah. That's a, a little bit of my attitude. But uh, I was going to say, uh, here's the next question for the, the code confessional. Have you ever in your life 
done uh, NS thread, you know, sorry, not NS thread, you know, uh, to perform selector with object after delay. Yes. Where, where basically just to get around a timing issue, just to, because in JavaScript, you, you, there's a kind of a similar thing. I always feel dirty when I have to do it, but, you know, if, if that's what makes it work. Ah, so I'm not the only one. Okay, so I don't have to feel bad. Yeah, it's it's not pretty though when you have to do it, is it? No, no, and and it's basically what what drives me nuts, and I'm sure everybody feels the same. It's like I I don't mind that when there's a bug, but what you know, what I can't stand is when I don't understand why why it didn't work and why why something fixes something, and that's particularly the way I feel with with. I mean, I understand it's like yes, okay, you're giving some a bindings a chance to to catch up or, or things like that. Um, but I always wish I knew exactly what was going on when I don't. I feel that's why I feel dirty. Yeah, it's. I mean, Simon's pointing out in the chat room that you know GCD has got over a, quite a few of the reasons that most of us maybe used to use that. Are you a are you a big GCD user now, John? Um, a fair amount, yeah. Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's it's one of those things that I think actually doesn't get a lot of credit, but. You know, probably lots of us have sort of started using uh, GCD Grand Central Dispatch. In case you don't know what we're talking about, um, and it's changed the way we've done a lot of things. Yet there's been no big hoo ha over it, no big you know sort of fanfares and celebrations. And yet we've all probably started uh, using it in different ways to do things. And it's pretty darn impressive, I do have to say. Yeah. Okay, Scott Andrew, the chat room is asking, how many people use lots of blocks instead of delegate for custom classes? Oh, there's a big one. This whole oh, yeah. blocks versus delegates. Um, I mean, I love the delegate um, type of setup. Um, yeah, and I think there are certain things for which it just works really, really well. Um, uh, I, I, I guess, to me, blocks come down often... Uh, to you know, it's it's a, it's a difficult choice to when when to use one and when to use the other, um, uh, and, and I have no fixed set of rules, uh, which is probably bad because that probably was my code is inconsistent. What about you, John? I'm a big fan of delegation. I think it's a great pattern, so I've, I've used it a lot, and I can see though why why people like blocks. I mean, here's a here's a good example. I mean, uh, you know, doing an NS Earl request. You know, everybody and their mother has has they're either using somebody's library if they rolled their own to build a wrapper around that to be able to handle. I'm going to go make a request from a web service. I'm going to go see if I if I get a response. If if the response is 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 what I'm you know to, to determine whether there's an error or not or whether there was a failure to actually send the request. That to me is is a, is a great example of why I'd want to use a a, 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 a wrapper class and that has a delegate. Um, and I think that as long as you are, you, you know, uh, define the delegate in, in, in a protocol, then I think it's great and wonderful. Now, uh, you know, the new kids are, would tend to just basically use a block. And here's a success block, here's a fail block. And I can see how that makes it a little bit easier because when you're setting things up, you don't have to worry, you know, about what the delegate methods are. And, you know, it's kind of, it, 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 it can make things a lot uh, a lot easier, I think, to read and understand what's going on at first block. Here's a method, and you can, you can see very self-contained in a block of code um, everything that's supposed to happen if it succeeds versus fail. Whereas if you have delegate methods, you know, you have one method that fires off the request, and you have to look elsewhere in the class to, to see the, the delegate method that handles success or the delegate that, that asks your opinion, as, as Joshua points out. You know, like, for instance, for security, should you allow this thing to, to go on? Or handles failure so it, it's it's just basically having to look around more in the class i think it's i think it's a kind of a, a personal opinion type of thing but uh, 
you know, as I said, I, I love I love missing delegates. Yeah, it's it's funny because you you come across uh, people who come to, um, uh, you know, sort of iOS or OS ten, and and it seems to be a lot of people initially struggle with the whole concept of uh, of delegation and, and and how it's working, uh, and yet to me it, it just seems so elegant and so so, yeah. you know, nice to use that you know, um, and and it makes perfect sense if you ask me, but uh, there yeah. we are. Me too. It's modeled on reality. Okay. Um, we got any thoughts to talk about? I don't want to drag this on just for the sake of it. I mean, it's been uh, an interesting show, just chatting about a, about a few things. Um, but we don't want to waffle on and bore people totally. Um, anything else that you feel you really need to bring up, John? <sighs> no, I think I'm all good. I'm just, I, I'm still wallowing in my happiness. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there we are. Chat room, uh, thank you very much for staying with us. You've been really active today and uh, putting um, uh, some uh, stuff out there. Now, uh, Simon Wolf would like me to mention uh, a new Twitter account that I am just going back through the notes to try and find. It's here somewhere. It is here somewhere. Tap uh, Dev Jobs. Sorry, say that again, John. Tap Dev Jobs. T A P. Tap Dev Jobs. It's designed to link people looking for jobs and uh, people looking to hire developers for jobs together. So go um, go check that out. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. Um, that's uh, I think that comes from the guys who do uh, Tap Magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, there we are. He's just put it in the in the bottom of the uh, uh, chat room. So why was I searching further up again? Um, so. Uh, Go, go take a look at that and uh, be interested to see how they go. Maybe we'll have to get them on in a couple of months and see how that goes. Yeah. See, see what they, they think about that. Um, John, remind people who you are and where they can uh, find out about you. So you can find out about my product, Memory Miner, at memoryminer.com. If you go to memoryminer.com slash blog, there are a number of interesting blog posts up there. And if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, and you do, you can follow me as Jembe, D-J-E-M-B-E, like the West African drum. Excellent. I am Scotty. You can find me on um, uh, MacDevNet on Twitter, Scotty on AppDevNet, and um, I develop a TV. Um, and check out our blog. Go subscribe to the blog. You'll love some of the stuff we've got coming up over the, over the next few weeks. Um, okay. Thanks for listening, folks. Thanks, Chatroom, for uh, being on the ball today and being really um, part of the the discussion and uh, thank you for listening on the feeds and until next time you take care